0: my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight O lord our rock and our redeemer amen please be seated my question for you today is who gets to tell you who you are who gets to tell you who you are if someone doesn't tell us how do we figure it out and is it important to know who we are? We look in the mirror, we look at our parents and our grandparents, we look at our neighbors, and we compare ourselves. On the one hand, we want to be like everybody else and fit in, and on the other hand, we want to be unique and special. Are there any Woody Allen fans out there like Woody Allen's films? One of my favorite is his movie Zelig. A 1983 movie in black and white, kind of a mockumentary. And Woody Allen plays uh, Leonard Zelig, uh, who is so desires to fit in that when he is with people, he begins to adopt their uh, opinions and perspectives, and even their accents and way of speech. He goes to the hospital and is treated by Mia Farrow, a psychiatrist, to help Zelig with this strange disorder. She discovered Zelig yearns for approval so strongly that he physically changes to be like those around him. She eventually cures Zelig of his compulsion to assimilate but goes too far in the other direction and for a brief period he is so intolerant of other people's opinions that he gets into a brawl over whether or not it is a nice day. It's a wonderful picture of the human condition. We want to be like everyone else. We also want to be unique. So who gets to tell us then who we really are? Well, let's look at the gospel reading assigned for today. I would invite you to turn to it in your bulletin and follow along. Uh, It comes from the gospel of Mark. Mark is uh, the earliest of the four gospels. It's the shortest. You'll notice it has no nativity story, as in Matthew and Luke. And uh, it's interesting to remember that the church didn't celebrate Christmas for about 300 years after Jesus. It was a celebration that came much later. Up until that time, Epiphany was very important, as was the baptism of our Lord. In the place where Matthew and Luke have the nativity story, uh, Mark has three stories that set the stage, that are essential clues for understanding what's going to come forward. These three stories are in chapter 1, verses 1 to 13, and our gospel passage is the one right in the middle, verses 4 to 10. But in, just before it, we're introduced to John the Baptist, underlining his role as Elijah, who comes to announce the Messiah, the forerunner, summoning people to repent and in pointing to the one who's coming after him. Then the next little story is our passage today, which introduces Jesus of Nazareth as the one to whom John is pointed recording his submission to the baptism of repentance, the messianic gift of the Spirit, and the divine declaration of his sonship. Lastly, following in the next two verses, we see the Spirit-impelled champion going out to meet the enemy of God and man, pointing forward to the warfare which the whole gospel will relate and the ministrations of the angels, providing an anticipatory hint of the final victory when the angels come back at the end of the gospel for his resurrection. It's interesting, too, that that last story uh, is very pointed in the other gospels about this Satan uh, challenging Jesus on who he is. Okay, well, let's look at the passage. What characters come up in our passage? Well, of course, we have John. Then we have the crowds. It says the whole Judean countryside... And all of Jerusalem. And then we have Jesus come on the scene and we look at his relationship to John. It ends with Jesus' relationship to the Holy Trinity. It's a beautiful picture of the Trinity. And then we see what we might extrapolate or apply to ourselves. So looking at John, what do we know about John? Obviously very popular. It's the whole countryside and all of Jerusalem is coming to him. We know where he was, what he was doing, what he was wearing, what he was eating. These are very interesting things, ways that we judge people or feel judged by others, where we live, what we do, what we wear, especially young kids. I've known uh, young children in kindergarten change their clothes three times before they go to school, unsure of how people will respond to how they are dressed. That's a great benefit of uniforms in school. What they are eating, there's all kinds of, uh, there's a vast variety of possibilities to identify who you are by what you eat or don't eat. Well, we know about John, he was in the wilderness. Did you notice the reference in the psalm to the wilderness and God's voice shaking the wilderness of Kedar? He was wearing camel's hair and leather belt and eating locusts and wild honey. Uh, I got a, a lovely Christmas present of some bourbon honey, and I'm sure it helped the locusts go down. Well, what was he doing? He's referred to John the baptizer, so he was baptizing. But he was also proclaiming a message, a very specific message. He was proclaiming the need for people to acknowledge and confess their sins, to be penitent, be baptized as a sign that they wish to turn around and leave their sin To start a new life. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Doesn't sound like a very appealing message, does it? To tell people they are sinners in need of forgiveness. But it drew people in great numbers. Coming to be baptized. Doesn't sound like a message that the church is very comfortable with today. seems that the church tries very hard to minimize that aspect of our message and i sometimes wonder if our discomfort with the message of sin correlates to our decline in people in the pews in the episcopal church it's basically omitted from services of confirmation ordination baptism it's interesting to compare the evolution of confession in the episcopal and the prayer book if you want to look at rite 1 communion you remember rite 1 It had the exhortation, the decalogue, and the penitential order before you even started the communion service. And then when we came to the confession on page 331, if you want to look it up, these lines really stand out to me. Talking of our sin, the remembrance of them is grievous unto us. The burden of them is intolerable. The confession of sin is not an accusation a simple declaration of who we are. We are made in God's image and of infinite value, but in this world things will happen, we will make mistakes, we will sin, and we need to go to God who offers us forgiveness. This is one of our family book of remembrance, one of my most powerful tools in my parenting experience. And what we would do with this little composition book is when someone would say something funny or some do something funny, we'd write it down. Often they're mistakes. They misspoke or they did something wrong. But then we later, as you look back, you can laugh at them. And when things would go wrong in our, at, at the table or people were grumpy with each other, we'd sort of bundle everybody into the van, go out for dinner and take this book and read these stories that drew us together. They weren't sins that drew us apart, but rather missteps for which our love overcame the separation and drew us together. I really recommend it uh, if anyone's in the midst of parenting. Sin. We dance around the topic of sin, but it is an essential part of who we are. We are sinners in need of redeeming. We are broken in need of fixing. We are sick in need of healing and fractured into pieces in need of becoming whole again. And John points then in the midst of all this to the one who can do the fixing and the healing and the redeeming, to Jesus, who is stronger and worthy, who will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. In him, we find one who is equal to the task, worthy of our love, the one who will empower us to live out our lives of faith. So then Jesus comes on the scene. What need does Jesus have? for the baptism of repentance. Having set the stage, Mark goes on to show Jesus enter the scene and submit to the baptism of repentance. This is the beginning of his ministry when he does this. When I began my ministry, I thought I had it all together. I didn't need to apologize for anything. It was only after many years in ministry that I had a profound realization of my deep need for forgiveness and redemption. But at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he submits to John's baptism. And it is such a deep identification with the others, the crowd who have come to confess their sins. And Jesus identifies with them, submitting to the baptism of repentance for sin, the sin that he will carry with him to the cross, with the ultimate identification. As he comes up out of the water, you notice in verse 10, it says, the heavens, the sky is torn apart for the holy spirit to come the word torn apart is the same word used later when jesus dies on the cross and the curtain in the temple is torn apart so that people have gained access to the very presence of god based on what jesus has accomplished on the cross and when the heavens are torn apart the spirit descends and it's very much like our reading from genesis today where the spirit although our translation says the wind swept over the water the hebrew word is the same for wind or spirit i like to think of it's the spirit blowing hovering descending over the water and the image is jesus establishing a new creation a whole new cosmic order and then we come to verse 11 which i've really been building up to this is my favorite when the heavens open Jesus is, when the Spirit comes upon him, Jesus is enabled to hear the voice of his Father say, You are my Son, my Beloved, with you I am well pleased. It is such a beautiful picture of the Trinity. Jesus, the Son, embarking on the mission of love, the Spirit coming to empower and enable, and the voice of the Father affirming and announcing that Jesus is his Son. The, the Spirit enables to, Jesus to hear what the Father is saying. So who gets to tell you who you are? Many things uh, line up and vie for attention to tell us who we are. There's many things that identify us, our family of origin, our churchmanship, what we eat, our political affiliation, the college football team we support. But at the ground of it all, we must allow God to tell us who we really are, the one who made us in love. And I suggest that when we are baptized and share in the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will descend upon us as we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that thing in Acts? The people said, we didn't even know there is a Holy Spirit. For those of you who have lived through the charismatic movement, it was very obvious what the Holy Spirit was. We don't talk about it much these days, and maybe we should. So I suggest that when we share the baptism of Jesus, open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, that in the same way he begins to enable us to hear what God is saying to us, telling us who we are. You are my child, my beloved. I delight in you. I invite you to be still for a moment, just be quiet. You may close your eyes if you like. Can you hear the voice of your Heavenly Father speaking to you of relationship, of intimacy, of delight? Can you embrace the fact that God might be pleased with you, delight in you, savor you the child he has made? How do we carry the delight of God with us into the world? How do we bring that with us? The world often has the assumption that God is out to make us feel miserable or guilty or that we've disappointed him. What if we carried the message that it is God's will to delight in us, to find his delight in the people he's made? In the baptismal covenant, which we're going to Uh, recite in a few minutes. It talks about what we believe. You'll be asked three questions. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? But then it changes and says, will you? And talks about what we will do about the fact that we believe in these things. The colic today talks about to boldly confess him as Lord and Savior. It's like St. Francis who said, preach the gospel everywhere, use words if you have to. How do we live out a life of delight, to be open to delight in our world, to savor it, to communicate it. What difference does it make that we believe that God delights in us and wants us to delight in the world and in each other? It should be reflected in how we pray, how we give, how we speak, how we listen and where we go. Will people see that you truly delight in God who delights in you? Resolve to open yourself to delight and wonder, delight in the world he's made, delight in the people he has entrusted to you. May the Holy Spirit be upon you today, so that in Christ you may hear your Father say to you, You are my child, my beloved, in you I delight.